a better world is possible. You know, for a very long time, the prison industrial complex has told us that incarceration is the only way to solve society's problems, whether that is homelessness, whether that is addiction, whether that is poverty, or whether that's crime. The only way to solve these problems is to lock people in cages. And I'm here to tell you that that is wrong and that is inhumane for one reason and one reason only. Because the existence of prisons inspired the movie Crazy on the Outside. (laughs) I encourage all of you to read up about prison abolition and how it can improve our world by making sure that there will never be another movie like Crazy on the Outside. Well, how much does it cost? The time is all we've lost. Crazy on the Outside. Now, Landon, I think that that title, and I'm going to say something, I'm going to make a, a qualified compliment to this movie. That is okay. a clever title because there's mm-hmm. that notion of I well man no you know what I'm not going to I'm not going to like 1 minute in explain the 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 concept of the title but I think it's a fun play on words and it's a fun uh it's a I I, I don't know if double entendre yeah it's a double entendre and I like it I think that that is one of the cleverest things about this movie the the cleverest thing about this movie i think that if if when reading the script for this movie i i think that that is actually how this movie that got financed was someone looked <laughs> at the the title page and thought great that's solid i know that it's about prison it's called crazy on the outside that's all i need to know let's get out my checkbook uh <laughs> okay listen uh, let, let's set the rules of the game right now okay. for this episode that we're about to go into all right um, oh, we're, I feel like we've gone into it already. We are th- we are starting off talking about the thing the episode is about. We are into it. What are the rules of engagement here? I, I mean, no sh- blows below the belt. Uh, don't hit in the face. No I, holds barred. Anything goes. I, I think it's I think it's more of it's more of a nuke the site from orbit. It's the only way to be sure situation. <laughs> it, it's a it's a Marines okay. comma we are leaving situation. I just want to know where we're at with it. I mean, <laughs> before I, I, we get into it, um, yeah, because okay. I'm gonna say something, yeah, right off the bat, yeah, say the thing. I am not a hundred percent convinced. Okay, I don't have any evidence of this outside of this movie existing that Tim Allen might engage in some sort of blackmailing scheme mm-hmm. in which he stars with somebody engages in some sort of uh, behavior and captures his star in an incriminating moment and then uses that blackmail to ask them to be in this movie. I I think, I feel like sort of, I don't know, I feel like one of the kids on Stranger Things slowly piecing together a, a like, satanic, like, otherworldly cult <laughs> and, like, finding out, like, wait, he this he's possessed by a demon and he, he captures the souls of people who he's worked with in film and television projects and then forces them to appear in his own passion projects. They call him Timalon. Uh, I, it, you know, it, it definitely... You want to look at this and say the reason that that J.K. Simmons and Sigourney Weaver and, and uh, R.I.P. Ray Liotta, yeah, pour pour one out for Ray Liotta, one of my favorite performances in the movie, in fact. Although it might it <laughs> yes. might be nostalgia, it might be because when there are 
uh, shots of a car driving on a freeway, and there are many of them in this movie. And you hear Ray Liotta's <laughs> voice talking. I can briefly think, oh no, it's just it's just Goodfellas. This is just he's being chased by the cops in a helicopter, and he's just explaining what's going on. Oh, and then you cut back to the car and see Tim Allen. I, I'm not sure that Ray Liotta knows the other movie that he's in here. Like Ray Liotta's giving a Wild Hogs level performance, don't which say, is don't say that the man is dead. Don't say Wild Hogs. Don't we don't need to mention him being in Wild Hogs, <laughs> where I don't think he knows what's going on with the 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 romantic plot with Gene Triplehorn or the romantic plot with Sigourney Weaver, his sister. Uh, yeah, okay, you picked up on that too, huh? You picked up on on a weird. Uh, the, that maybe Sigourney Weaver isn't quite sure what character she's playing or what is yeah. happening outside and these which, scenes. I, I okay, think, listen, let me, I, and I no, 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 I, Landon, I'm I, sorry that it's two white guys jabbering at each other. I want to just finish my original point before okay, I forget it. Finish your original point. It is easy. We're going to come back to Sigourney Weaver. It is easy to say that all these great actors and actresses, including Sigourney Weaver, uh, agreed to be in the movie Crazy on the Outside because Tim Allen had something over them, but. I, I, as someone who ha, who like pays attention to the movies and has worked at the fringes of Hollywood for a, a, a while, it's really just that the like they all went to his Christmas party every year and they all like they play <laughs> golf together or their kids both go to Harvard Westlake or something and they see each other at PTA meetings. And it was all just like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll do a favor for Tim. Oh, Tim is really nice. I don't agree with his politics, but it's two days of shooting. I get SAG minimum. Honey, we can finally put in that that new bidet that you've wanted. I don't know. I guess I'm Sigourney Weaver. The, but the, but, the but level... she, she and her husband deserve the best bidet in the world, though, so I am not criticizing <laughs> Sigourney Weaver. The quality of this film does not lead me to believe that Tim Allen, as a director, has the organizational skills to pull off something to go, I will only need you for two days. I, to me, this is maybe he promises that, and then it turns into fourteen days or three months. I, I could see, I could see that, but he's also, I don't know. You, you will notice that every one of the big actors in this movie, ladies and gentlemen, the movie Crazy on the Outside. Here is here is a list of the people in it. After Tim Allen, you have Sigourney Weaver, Gene Triplehorn, J.K. Simmons, Academy Award nominee, jo Julie Bowen from Modern Family, Ray Liotta, a man who needs no introduction, and another man who needs no introduction. He hears the blues a calling, Kelsey Grammer. <laughs> Every single performer in this list has been nominated for an, uh, an Oscar, won an Oscar, or uh, nominated or won an Emmy. Yes. Every single one of them. An absolutely stacked cast in one of the most... I, I don't I one of the most movies and not in a good way. Um, but the point is, <laughs> I say one of the least movies. <laughs> every one of these actors, though, you will notice if you watch the movie that each one of them has a location that they are in for their scenes. Sigourney Weaver is a lady who hangs out around her house, always in the same lighting and always in the same couple of rooms that have been dressed. Uh, you know, she's got a few. She's got a few that break out. She's but she's in a car one for or the two most times. part. Uh, yeah. You know, Ray Liotta is usually driving around in a car or in a building that looks an awful lot like a production office, dressed up to <laughs> look like a nefarious <laughs> den of crime and and avarice. You know, J.K. Simmons a, a is a den of in the crime kitchen. that is in 2010 a bootleg <laughs> DVD market for China. Oh my God, it's this movie feel. I think we need to explain the plot of this movie in just a second. Here. Okay, okay. I, I just want to say Let's, that all. The... Let me let me give let yeah, me give go. some specs on go, it. Give you can specs. do a synopsis, and yes. then we'll we'll start to break this thing. 
open because I need it to break the way that it broke me. And and it broke something else in your life, I think. Oh, sorry, sorry. God, oh my god, oh my god. I'm so pissed. Are you? Are you? This are movie you, can fuck itself for all time. Are you fantasizing about violently murdering me the way that our lovable hero occasionally does? I would, about random. I would never people? turn that on you. I wish all of the bad ill on Tim Allen. Oh. <laughs> um, Crazy on the Outside was released on January eighth, two thousand ten. Directed by Mister Tim Allen and written by Judd Pilot and John. Peasley. Peasley? Pilot and Peasley, yes. Pilot and Peasley, which sounds like you would find their their writer's office in like a broom closet. (laughs) Have you been injured in a riding lawnmower accident? (laughs) Call the law firm of Pilot and Peasley today. (laughs) I am I'm I am not pulling punches on this (laughs) this episode, and I want people to know that now before they get into the two hour conversation we're gonna have. I want to I want to say just having looked at their credits a little bit on IMDb, these two dudes are two dudes who are journeyman writers. They have worked a lot in television from the late 80s up until fairly recently. And, you know, uh, I've written bad scripts, too. And uh, and also scripts change a lot when an actor gets attached to them and maybe a script that was clever when it was written becomes worse through the directing or through choices made by um a very improvisational and lead actor, maybe. I'm just, I'm just saying. If here's the, if those two writers why I, are listening I, to this, I, I, I want to say I'm not. Uh, we're not. <laughs> I'm not trying to diss you. No, if if I saw that some two two douchebags made a podcast about a little known movie that I wrote, I would out, out of spite right. listen to it. <laughs> Let me. This is a, a, a direct comment to Judd and John. If you are listening, stop now. Uh, but I will say. I completely agree with you that you never know as a writer what's going to happen to your script, particularly if the director turns out to be Tim Allen and decides he wants to star in it and also produce it. I, that is, I mean, that's a situ- Oh, wait, hold on. I'm, I'm just looking. Uh, actually, I don't think he is a producer on it. Oh, that's interesting that he's not producing it, uh, actually. Yes. Um, I'm sorry. I misspoke. Uh, either, either way, like, I, I it is... You know, for for these two guys who I don't think had written a feature before, this is probably something that they wrote, and they wrote, like, yeah, a bunch of, maybe a TV movie or something like that. What? Truman, hold on. I was just, as I was going through the the credits list, I was like, okay, he's not a producer. I was looking at the producers. The editor of this movie. And how, how do you feel about the editing? I mean, compared to, I mean... However good or bad the editing may be is overshadowed by the directing, which is not great. I guess the editing is sort of... Actually, no, I don't feel great about the editing. Some of these scenes are pretty clunky and weird. Uh, who edited Oscar it? Oscar winner for best film editing for Rocky by Scott Conrad. That's not... I mean, that's... I mean, do you think it's like Scott Conrad LLC and one of his interns and he did it as a favor for <laughs> Tim Allen? It's because it's just like this feels a lot. It it OK, look, I, I, I'm I'm not going to try and describe <laughs> what it feels like. We're broken by this movie. We've said that about about like probably 70 percent of the movies we've done. Again, it's that we are breaking ourselves by okay, pursuing the fair. dumbest formula for choosing movies, movies that that people on home improvement were in um, a movie. <laughs> this this movie, you know, uh, 
is a movie where we we have baked our brains over these five years watching Home Improvement, a show that is kind of based around the whims and ideas and id of Tim Allen, but was nonetheless like he didn't have full creative control. There were like experts and producers who tried to steer him away from his worst in- instincts. And this yes. is and after that we decide, hey, let's go into a world where he controls everything. <laughs> like like Okay. Let's enter the upside down where where Tim One, Allen is in full control. Because of that, I am willing and and to go back to the writer point that because of that I am willing 100% to lay this at the feet of Tim Allen. Yes. Uh two um I forgot what my second point was. Two as a writer, if I if I had the opportunity, <laughs> if I had a script that I had written and that there was interest and oh a you know a big time star of television uh, and movies wants to direct it and star in it and make it his de- directorial debut, of course I'd say yes. That's a huge opportunity. And then what comes after that, you can't really control if you want your movie to get made. What if you got the opportunity to write a movie for Larry the Cable Guy? You and know, you had to work in get her done at least every five pages. I, you know what? I, I would, I would take the meeting. I'm not saying I do it. <laughs> I'm not saying I do it. But I also, I also spent uh, about six months at the behest of a production company that was basically two dudes in a broom closet in a shitty old building in Hollywood. Wait, trying to. Did you come... work for, for Pilot and Peasley? <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't Pilot and Peasley, but it was close. It was a, it was two, two people who had mainly financed a bunch of Christian films, even though they were in no way religious. Uh, but they wanted they had a connection to Kevin Costner and they wanted me to write a buddy comedy about Kevin Costner playing himself going to the Philippines uh, to rescue his friend who he thinks Wait. has been kidnapped by terrorists. And I I also had a meeting where I was supposed to write a script for Jeff Goldblum playing Jeff Goldblum re-meeting his past uh, uh, film performances. Okay. It was kind it was sort of a thing. It's sort of a thing. So I, I'm just wondering if we met with the same people. Wait, wait. Okay. I'm, and did, did the paper people who wrote for uh, the Nick Cage film, <laughs> did they finally get it made? I, I think that was, it. I think, well, cause I, the Nick, the Nicholas Cage <laughs> script, the unbearable weight of massive talent has been floating around for a while. And it was like the first one and it got loads of buzz, but it was taking a long time to produce. And in the interim, there was a cottage industry, I think, of two two producers in a closet, three three producers in a trench coat, tr- walking up to unsuspecting writers and get you know enticing a bunch of free spec scripts out of them about other leading men in their you know oh, late fifties having adventures playing themselves. Truman, what else? Yeah, yes, landed before. Okay, not before. Now let's go into a synopsis. Give these people. So please, if you haven't taken the first twenty minutes of this already uh for granted don't watch this movie yes it's don't do it it's it's free on tubi but don't 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 do it nothing nothing in life is free it (laughs) will take up an hour and a half of your time and time is precious don't do it allow us to take this bullet for you another thing that i like about this movie is that it's 96 minutes long can compare this to a movie like furniture or poorer which was almost two hours long and and <laughs> yes you know an hour and 36 minutes is less time than two hours so still could have been 15 to 20 minutes shorter oh yeah no they 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 stretched they they flexed and fluffed to get to that 96 <laughs> minutes that's a real achievement every minute what's over this 65. piece of shit about okay 
Uh, Tim Allen plays Thomas Zelda, who has recently been uh, released from a three-year stint in prison for video pirating. Uh, his uh, girlfriend is dead, and he has, uh, uh, you know, the whole world is against him. He goes back and moves in with his uh, sister, uh, played by Sigourney Weaver, and tries to get his life back on track, uh, which involves working at a... Um, working at a pirate-themed fast food restaurant. Uh, and that he got through his parole agency. That he got through his, his cute parole officer. Uh, and then he... Uh, uh, but what he really wants to do is restart his father's old painting business. And uh, as he attempts to do this, uh, life gets in the way and some complications <laughs> ensue. Uh, do, do, is, that, is that a solid synopsis? Yeah. Uh, can I just start with the, the comments? Yes, start with the comments. His last name is Zelda. So what we're watching is The Legend of Zelda. <laughs> I I mean, I don't I think even the what I'm about to say is putting more thought into it than anyone else in this film, but I think it's just Tim Allen's last name starts with an A and so he wanted to go with a Z. <laughs> that <laughs> and and he and he didn't he didn't realize that there was a fairly popular video game that had been out for around 25 years at this point that no one told him like sir could you pick any other z name i okay oh my god um where where do you want to start i mean okay we, I would, we gave the premise let's I, I want to with every fiber of my being avoid the chronological nature of this but let's just start with the prison scene at the very beginning because it sets the tone for how toneless this movie is it it, it it is really it makes this first impression where you you go into it thinking like okay this movie is directed by tim allen i wonder what this is going to be like and within a minute you know oh th oh this it's kind of exactly what you would expect uh, <laughs> of, 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 there there's a subtitle joke when it says a tim allen film starring tim allen and then two seconds later we're we're going over shots of prisoners, these big beefy guys in the in their jail cells, and it says starring Tim Allen, and just so you know that heaven forbid you ever think he's a you know a gained weight or fat or ugly, uh, parentheses not this guy, yeah. Uh, it took me like I had to rewind because I'm like, oh, did I miss a subtitle joke? Like did I did I miss the premise of it? And then I'm realizing you're like, oh no, he just doesn't want you to think that's him. Yeah, he's just saying like he, it's it's audacious enough to introduce this as a Tim Allen film, as though that's like a you, as as though it's like a Spike you know a Spike Lee joint or like <laughs> a thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, the eighth that... the eighth film by Quentin Tarantino, like that sort the, of yeah, the auteur Tim Allen, yeah, right. Yeah, but uh, also this is your first film. I mean, obviously it's a Tim Allen film. That but anyway, like so then a Tim Allen film starring Tim Allen. So already he's barraged us with his name twice, and then he has to drive it home by telling you no. But the first. The first person you're seeing is not me. Don't get confused. <laughs> Why wouldn't you just end on yourself when your title card comes up? You you have full control over your movie. Yeah, we don't really need to see like this because this like chipper pop or, or like classic rock song that I, I don't know. Is it by Credence is playing in the background and we're just panning through all these like beefy prisoners lifting weights. And it's kind of like we could have just started on Tim Allen 
walking out of the jail, the only reason yeah. to include all this footage is because you desperately needed to add minutes to this movie's runtime, a well, recurring and, theme. And, you know, I, the comparisons, obviously. Uh, oh, my God. Okay, so... Uh, Raising oh, Arizona boy. also starts in a prison. <laughs> Tim Allen was in prison. Yes. And he went to prison because... He was dealing coke. Yeah. And well, tra- I got mean, a transporting coke. We don't know if he had intent coke. to sell. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't want to. I don't want to misstate the facts. But what I do understand is that he had a lower sentence because he snitched on others. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it makes a distinct point of starting this film in prison with prisoners to show how hard Tim Allen is, and that he gets angry at somebody who suggests that he snitched on somebody yes yeah they uh, you know this is a man who on his way out of the prison nearly fights a much younger much buffer man as if just to show us like this dude you know this this dude is uh this dude's pretty pretty uh not to be fucked with you know he's like we're gonna have a laugh but he could kick your ass so don't laugh too hard um (laughs) i mean i kind of Got a little excited that maybe two minutes into this movie, Tim Allen would get shivved and it would just take a different direction. Uh, you know, yeah. Well, listen, J.K. Simmons was on Oz, so you don't know what to expect. Uh, <laughs> I think that uh, I, I don't want to. I don't want to be critical. I, I don't know. There's a lot of reasons to go after. I, I don't want. There's a lot of reasons to go after Tim Allen. I'm. I'm not really gonna like look askance at him for snitching on other drug dealers to get a reduced prison sentence because as much as I'd like to think I wouldn't do that, I completely would. Prison seems scary as shit. <laughs> Landon, I would fuck I would completely throw you under the bus. So we should I, never transport drugs listen, for one another. I haven't I haven't mentioned it till now. The fact is that I I'm only bringing it up because he is stating the exact opposite thing of what he did. I agree. I agree with that. I like, agree with that. This is this is the the official record because this is a movie, and the movies are the only things that you know are are fact these days. I, I don't know why I said that. So, whatever the fuck that meant. I, well, I mean, me- memes are facts more often. I would say it's it's more of a permanent record than the police files. You know. Yeah. In, in public memory. At yeah. Least. Yeah. The files of police squad. Sure. I don't know. He, he's trying to correct the record in a favorable way for himself, whereas I would yes. really be more interested in a movie about a guy who did snitch to get a reduced sentence yes. and how he negotiates that relationship with other people. And that could be a funny movie if it's like yes. you're because the the crime that's the crime that he was engaged in pirating movies. He said he went to prison for three years so that people in China <laughs> could watch Lars <laughs> and the Real Girl. Um, can, hey, hey, that was. Uh, kind of a funny joke. That was uh, <laughs> I was surprised by that joke. That was yeah, it was amusing. But let's just let, okay. Before, I want to dig into that. But okay. before we move away from the prison scene, just want to mention yeah. the guard that's that's taking him outside. Yeah, that is Casey Sanders, who plays Rock in K and B in the construction crew. Shit! <laughs> wow. Oh man, I wish I had known that. I mean, I guess I could have known that. I just, you know, I'm not really great with actor names. Oh fuck. And then okay. this is the thing. This is the thing. This is the thing. Okay, but about that, they have this. They're, they're walking out together, and they, they're. Ha- I guess it explains it now why there's all this stuff of him, them like having lines, and him and the guard talking to each other. Like they get to the, 
you know, they, they go outside or he lets him at the gate and the guard says, this is as far as I go. And Tim goes, well, I'm not leaving if you're not leaving. And the guard doesn't laugh. There's no like warmth between them or <laughs> anything. Funny. I know, but it's like, even in, even when he's the master of his own universe, setting up a scene between himself and a fellow comedian who he's done comedy with for a long time, he can't add any like warmth or levity or anything <laughs> to this scene. It's just, just a cold stare and they walk out and it's not, and it's shot well, at such a wide the comedy. The comedy's coming in just two seconds when he's outside and his sister doesn't show up and he mugs for the camera for 30 seconds. Yeah, there's a long, a very long sequence of him waiting for his sister to pick him up, which factors into the movie not at all. It makes no difference to the plot, but it's just they play the same song they licensed from the beginning and show a lot of fast motion shots and the sun sailing through the sky. And then she picks him up and he's complaining that he had to wait for two hours. And it's like, but it seems like the movie made it seem like it was all day. They spent 30 seconds showing you waiting. Let's get into, because I, like I said, I don't want to do chronological. Let's get into the crime he committed. Okay. Yes. He, 2010. Yes. In 2010. Going to jail for, well, I shouldn't say. How long was he in jail for? Three years. Three years. So, which I believe was seven. I believe that was Tim Allen's sentence. Also, I think he was in prison for three years. Uh, oh God! I, I'm so, you know, sorry, sorry. Okay, okay. I'm sorry. You're don't have to apologize for anything. This movie is what needs to be held accountable. Yeah. The okay, 2007. He goes to jail for engaging in a bootleg DVD business in which they. Do they go to the theaters like Seinfeld style and record the film or are they just copying a DVD to one DVD? I don't know exactly. I, I this is, Does, the, they, I mean, you, at one point you see the operation and there's just like a dude putting uh, a CD, you know, CDRs into his desktop computer yes just a sta- just one after another because <laughs> because again it's like oh okay we're just gonna dress up some edit bays around the production yes. offices and have ray liotta walk around here and get like the you know and everybody calls the the prettiest girls they know and has them be weird in the background or oh have tim God. be weird to them what was it, so oh, it's okay. so yeah okay it is a it is this I, I think that this is an aspect of the movie where the i, I I think this is a remnant of a better movie that was once here. I think this was originally a script about a video pirate ago. A video, yes, I, a script that these two dudes probably wrote in the '90s about a dude who pirated videos, went to prison, gets out. He has a dorky like coworker uh, or like you know dorky associate who he didn't rat out, who runs the game or runs the uh, the video pirating operation, is trying to get him back into it. In the meantime, he is working as a fast food pirate, and it's like a comedy about him in that world. And then I think that that's when an Tim interesting Allen, juxtaposition that I didn't pick up until right this second. I, it's because the movie certainly. Like it's it if it's the only subtle thing in the movie to the point that it makes me think that maybe Tim Allen doesn't pick up on the subtlety either. But <laughs> but the point is, I think there was originally a movie there in the '90s that was like sort of a okay. crime, you know, a crime comedy, maybe a black comedy about like mm-hmm. this guy, you know, trying not to get pulled back into the world of video pirating. And there's a lot more scenes with with his you know old crime boss in it, and there's probably like car chases and shootouts. I think Tim Allen the- got involved, and he either for budget or for narcissism, rewrote it into a story about how hard it is to get out of prison and start a business. And the the And I completely agree with that because, to me, it is 100% boomer mentality to look at that old script and go, okay, it's 2010. What 
needs to be updated. Well, DVDs are a thing. I've heard of those before, so clearly that stays. And, and, and let's see, Lars and the Real Girl. My kids told me that was a good movie. Ryan something was in it. Yeah, I'll have. I'll, I'll just type that in right now. Control Control F. Um, I think, and I think that also it is. It, so it this. I think that this whole aspect of of him having been pirating videos and his occasional visits from his old boss at the video pirating ring, Ray Liotta, I, I think that is an aspect of the old script. And also, I think that casting Ray Liotta in this role, instead of, say, maybe a Wayne Knight type, which would be way funnier, <laughs> I think casting Ray Liotta here is a misunderstanding of, like, like that, it, it's, like, the guy who runs he's, a he's video... Made out. He's made out to be a dangerous criminal, like a ga- like a playboy gangster who drives around in sports cars, and he- he's his character from Goodfellas. Whereas the guy yeah. who the guy who professionally pirates movies illegally is is a complete dork. He can be dangerous and <laughs> a- and a bad person in other ways, but he's not cool. No, no, a complete dweeb. That and and Sigourney Weaver is like. Talking about Ray Liotta and getting out of Tim Allen's life, uh, how dare you, you know, he just got out of prison, how dare you come back here, I don't ever want to see you again, he's turning his life around, like, for DVD bootlegs. <laughs> yes, it, the, the, the basic, the basic, when I, when I'm watching this and I see Ray Liotta show up at the house, or went, and not even, you don't even see Ray Liotta because obviously they didn't have him on set that day, so it's just Sigourney Weaver yelling at a car, but uh, a car that I promise you, it, it's this very fancy sports car, high-performance sports car that Ray Liotta is always driving around in or doing stunts in, and I got very nauseous late in the movie when I realized, oh god, this is probably one of Tim Allen's cars. <laughs> When, when oh, I when, God, when I, I saw, didn't even put that together till now. When I saw that it was a, I, I was assuming it was a Ferrari or something. When I saw it was a Ford and realized it was an American-made sports car, I was like, oh, Tim, oh, fuck, you're just showing off your car collection. That, all this is to say, when I first see this guy, this criminal, show up, I think, oh, okay, so the movie's gonna be about, he's trying to get, he's he keeps... You know, he gets sucked back in one last job, and and so he's doing all yeah. these jobs and crimes and stuff for Ray Liotta, but then he's also trying to play it straight for the parole officer who he has a crush on and do his little pirate job. But instead, Ray Liotta just kind of shows up two or three times and says, ah, you should come back to work for me, and he keeps saying no, and then he kind of says yes at the end, but then his sister lies to him to get him to say no. There, there, it's like why there's a there's like a crime subplot, but there's no like crimes happening. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, there's there okay. is a crime. Actually, there is a crime happening. It's just against <laughs> art. <laughs> there's a crime happening every second of this movie, every frame. Let's every, let's go into a little every bit about frame this. a misdemeanor. <laughs> My favorite YouTube channel. <laughs> let's go into a little bit of Sigourney Weaver because I think it's worth mentioning that she's a compulsive liar. And I, her character, not very Sigourney early Weaver. into this. What's that? Uh, Sigourney Weaver is not a compulsive liar. Her, like her character is. I just don't want her to character. Be, yeah, we're not suggesting that Sigourney Weaver herself is a compulsive liar. I mean, maybe no. she is, but but we're not saying that. <laughs> uh, her character is a compulsive liar, and uh, very early on into this film, I was like, oh, I mean. She's playing it and being directed to play it way too broad. And, you know, in the midst of learning about this, Tim Allen is making her be a character who 
can't drive properly swerving all over the road and like oh my god like like doing doing car stunts like where she is like we are seeing her car like sideswipe a tree and stuff where it's like they had to close down a street and hire stunt drivers. This cost money, and it means nothing yeah. to the movie. It does not need to be None. in there at all. And this movie does not but, have a lot of money. So very early on, I thought, oh, that's an interesting character choice, and you know, one that could be ripe with comedy. Yeah, uh, doesn't really, despite the the Herculean effort that <laughs> Sigourney Weaver is doing at gracing with this film, uh, uh, does not come off S- S- at all. Sigourney Weaver is doing is doing the best that she can with the material that she has. But also I think she, it's not, I wouldn't say Herculean effort just because it's like, I think she also can see uh, there's not much depth to this character. I'm not going to like go full Meisner on this. I'm shooting this in three <laughs> days between other, uh, before going to shoot Avatar probably. Uh, I need to uh, like, I'm, you know, I, I'm doing this as a favor for Tim and I'm going to do a good job, but I don't think she like sat up late at night asking herself like who, you know, who is Vicky? <laughs> like who is she like why does I don't she know lie? She, she has a moment where she cries in this film well yeah and oh man and i was so pissed i was so pissed that sigourney weaver wasted her good acting tears on this shitty movie tim allen does not get to tell sigourney weaver to cry you don't get to make sigourney weaver cry under any circumstances ellen ripley deserves better <laughs> um okay so she's a compulsive liar, and she is like the impetus for most of the plot points in this. She has lied to Tim all these years while he was in prison, saying that his fiance uh, died. He, she lied to their grandmother, not their mother, their grandmother. Yeah, that took me a second. It took me ten seconds, uh, <laughs> saying that he wasn't in prison. He's been in France, Paris, France, uh, the entire time he's been in jail. Uh, also, okay, also... It doesn't make a lot of sense, but the whole France thing, France as a shorthand for prison, that that was actually one of the only clever moments in the movie. There were aspects of that conversation <laughs> this, was, with J.K. Simmons that I liked. I 100% the, the success of that falls on J.K. Simmons' shoulders. Yes, uh, agreed, agreed. Another another really great performance, uh, someone else who's really into it. Um, You, you had mentioned that, the, I just want to go back for half a second, you mentioned that this is available on Tubi, that's how you and I both watched it. The level of where I was coming at this, Tubi, if you haven't watched before, is a free streaming service, but there's commercials. Yeah. Every time there was a commercial break, I felt a wave of joy. I'm like, oh my god, 30 seconds of freedom. <laughs> 30 seconds of competent direction and uh, appealing <laughs> characters and, you know, an, an arc and a structure to what they're trying to say. <laughs> all of the All of the ads that I was getting, I don't know if you had the same experience multiple ads for multiple different kind of budget online homeschools all about how like <laughs> it's actually better for your kid to not go to a regular school uh get, come and, and read more and it just very very bleak very bleak yes to think about yes. the, like the only people who we know are going to sign up for this are people who are willing to who hate themselves enough to subject themselves to crazy on the outside <laughs> Here, okay, so we talked a little bit about J.K. Simmons as well, who is playing the husband of Sigourney Weaver, and his main character motivation is uh, Yahorny. He wants to have sex with Sigourney Weaver, and I'm not saying that that's not relatable, but it is gross <laughs> that that's the only thing he ever seems to talk about. It's, it's the only character trait he has, that and a slight disdain for Tim. I, which, Both of which are completely understandable. Yeah, honestly, the most empathetic character in the movie, really. 
<laughs> and he's and he's always hungry, and he doesn't like it when dinner is delayed. I have to say, I agree. <laughs> maybe maybe the true hero, and he disappears uh, halfway through the movie, and uh, envious envious of him. <laughs> now, I, listen, I, I am never one to uh, want to comment on somebody's appearance, but this is the J.K. Simmons that existed just before Whiplash, and I have to imagine he saw himself here and just was like. Why am I doing favors for my friends? I look like shit on screen. I need to get my life in order. And then he just spent the next four years getting ripped and then decided, you know what? I'm going to whiplash my career back on track. <laughs> maybe maybe whiplash was also a favor for a friend. Maybe he was maybe like Damien Chazelle just had a really good Christmas party. and was like, yeah, sure. Fine. I'll make a stupid drumming movie. Uh, yeah, just talk to my agent. And then it wound up being amazing. Well, it was based on a short and he did the short as well. So, yeah, I'll do your dumb short. Just, yeah, come over to my house at drumming. Who gives a shit? I'm J. Jonah Jameson and every every passive moment in my life <laughs> uh it was also oh hard because God. i i i just recently watched spider-man 2 for the first time since high school and was really basking in probably one of jk simmons greatest performances uh and then to <laughs> go from that to, uh, to to seeing him at one point pat his stomach and say choo choo eddie needs coal in the boiler to signify that he's hungry and speaking of the choo-choo, okay, speaking I, maybe of the you, can enlighten me, you can enlighten me on this because I'm, I feel like I missed something from that line to a cutaway of Tim okay. running away from a train. Okay, yes. What the fuck happened? Yes, okay. So, folks, let's, let's uh, yeah, let's scroll it back. Tim, uh, at the beginning of the movie, is under the impression that his uh, ex-girlfriend, uh, Christy, died while he was in prison. He doesn't really have any proof of this. He just, I guess, heard it in letters or something. <laughs> uh, anyway. From his sister. From his sister. His sister has told him that his fiance has died. In fact, yeah. the first line in the movie is him looking at a picture of his fiance or of his of his ex-girlfriend. And his first <laughs> line right. is the funniest line of the movie. I can't believe you died. And then getting up and... <laughs> The song is played like do 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 do, and then we get to Tim Allen going, "I can't believe you died." Do 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 do, walking out of prison. I think it was at that point because the subtitle gag had passed, and I texted you, "I am one minute and fifteen seconds into this movie, and I have seven hundred words of notes." Yeah, yeah. Which you, which you, but then you looked at them the next day, and they were written in blood in some some unintelligible script. Timelon has gotten into your brain, Landon. You're next. You'll be in his next movie. No. He wants to. He wants to direct and star in Hot Tub Party Massacre too. Uh, but, but okay. okay but so, so his yes, Christy. Bring me back to the choo choo. Christy, Christy has Christy has died, and he is sad about it. And so he, after getting he's been home, told she's dead. I don't want to get been too told, Yes, he's been. She to is Julie Bowen. Yes, Julie Bowen. Yeah, so she's probably not going to show up in this movie at all. Psych. Uh, but so he goes, after he first gets gets to Vicky's house and gets settled in, he goes uh, out and is on this, like, train bridge at dusk, and he looks down where there is, like, you know, to, you know Tom plus Christy in a heart carved onto one of the, the uh, railway ties, and is having this sad moment. It cuts back to Choo Choo Eddie, J.K. Simmons, and Sigourney Weaver, and they're talking about how, oh, yeah, you know, he's probably out at that old train bridge, you know, he and... 
he and Christie uh, used to go out there all the time together because it was abandoned. And then J.K. Simmons goes, oh, yeah, well, you know, you, does he know they started using it again last summer? And then we smash cut to Tim Allen just sprinting and screaming, his face filling the screen with a train bearing down behind him, all of it very poorly composited in After Effects. Um, so <laughs> I was, I was so fucking confused as to what was happening. It, it, it is, in it, its execution, it's very aggressive. I kind of like it because it does, <laughs> it gets you paying attention. You know, you, you're already starting to slump from the movie and then it's like, oh, they're going to, okay, they're going to pull jump scares on us. Um, there, there was also, okay, so the next scene that we go into from that is the dinner scene where, uh, and I don't want to go chronological. I'm using this as a, a jumping off board. Here, yes. But. Uh, where J.K. is, you know, he he has one of the better lines of the film where he says, uh, they're all, you know, grandmother is there. They don't want to talk about him going to prison. She wants to know about him going to France. And uh, J.K. Simmons says something like, oh, France, yeah. They say statistically people who've been to France are are uh, more than likely um, apt to go back to France. <laughs> I butchered that, but you know what? I don't feel like looking up the actual line. Statistically speaking, people who have been to France and come back usually wind up back in France. And <laughs> very, very, like, very, uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think that's the best line in the movie, and it's a wonderful delivery from J.K. Simmons. Uh, but Tim is so upset, you know, and, and frustrated by J.K. Simmons taking him to task that he has this momentary fantasy sequence where he throws a fork and it sticks into jk simmons head and then the next it's like a hard smash to like oh no he didn't actually do that he's just at the table and jk simmons is still talking and like it happens so quickly and so aggressively on the back of the train shot yes and there's in just one or two more scenes another moment kind of like that where we like zoom quickly into the chest of Tim Allen and you see his blood pressure start to rise with a, you know, a valve on it. A, a valve that, that points like a needle from like calm to kill my sister. A lot of, uh, it spends a lot, like, a lot of this movie is kind of saying, hey, this, this guy who just got released from prison, he has a lot of really violent fantasies about hurting the people <laughs> around him. Like, a, it's hints of a different movie in there. There's subtext is. that yes. is not being touched on. Like, hey, maybe going to, sending people to prison for a nonviolent crime actually makes them violent and crazy. <laughs> the thing, though, just like he's blackmailing the cast members to be in this, I'm wondering if he's blackmailing the transitions from Home Improvement. <laughs> well, what it, it, just the, the the transitions in order to be uh, to be aggressive and and unsettling because we don't we don't get a claymation moon so he doesn't have anything on that <laughs> well, one. True, that's true. I, I do uh, I, I do think that the uh, Tim Allen and then the the um, the subtitle in parentheses that says not this guy over the first person I think that is like the grunt creeps cousin or something like that has <laughs> like it's a but cheeky that, title that has something to say. <laughs> I guess my point is like that subtitle joke, the those quick aggressive transition type uh, uh, moments feel like the extent of Tim Allen's humor going. We've done that before. And that was kind of funny. What if we did it again? Yeah. Would it, it, and it'll be funny because I know what funny is. So do you think that. I mean, yes, I think that that I think that that makes sense. Do you think that that same logic then applies to a topic that I think I should bring up now? The tendency of inanimate objects to occasionally wink or shift their eyes around. 
I think it falls under that umbrella. Yes. Yes, uh, I do. So the, a thing that this movie does sometimes, and only it does it infrequently enough for you to kind of forgot that it has happened, so you'll be shocked by it again when it happens again, is that, uh, th- yeah, like I said, things will animate. Like when he and Vicky, uh, his sister, are first talking in his room, he says, I'm going to do better. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go straight. We get this close-up shot of like a little ceramic figure on the on the the dresser. Because she's she's done up the entire bedroom in uh, French things, including a Jerry Lewis bellboy oh, poster. Yes. Of course, yeah. Everybody, take a shot. It's a it's a baby boomer making a Jerry Lewis France joke. Um, <laughs> so but, it's a bunch of French poodles. Yeah. So, but one of the poodles, we get this close-up on the ceramic poodle, and its eyes just shift left and right suddenly. Like, oh man, is he really going to eyebrows do it, right? go up? Yeah. <laughs> right. Or like later when he's like going back to work at the pirate themed restaurant where his parole officer has set him up after having almost been fired. He walks up to the front door and there is a big like plastic pirate figure out front who turns and winks at him and then just turns back to being an inanimate figure. Like, I don't oh. Why was this? Ad- Again, these things, it's bad CGI, but it cost money it to put in. And this really seems like a thing where Tim Allen is like, oh, guys, you know, it would be great would be if the poodle is like, I don't know about this. Like, it, <laughs> and don't tell me it can't be done. We did it for eight seasons on Home Improvement. It, it, it feels that that has transition energy, too. There is, I think, the worst. Yeah, I agree. The worst instance of it is when he and his sister are in the garage. Uh, the, the, this movie. Folks, brace yourselves. This movie directed by Tim Allen prominently features a classic, beautifully restored car. Can you, can you and a, even? And a new one. Yes, and a new one. It, 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 cars, won't you? In fact, <laughs> when he's taking down the pictures in his cell, it's like one picture of his, his ex-girlfriend, I can't believe you died, but there's multiple pictures <laughs> of this truck up there. This guy likes cars. That is a evergreen character trait the point is they're talking about this this old farm truck that it belonged to his father and that she has restored for him so he can use it to restart his dad's painting business i don't know why you need an old truck for that but they're talking about it and she says do you know that i lost my virginity in this truck and tim goes oh, oh. my god and, and tim, what was this moment and tim goes yeah, you know, actually, I lost my virginity in this truck as well. And then Sigourney Weaver says, yeah, well, did you know that mom lost her virginity in this truck? And then they both look at the truck, and we get a shot through the windshield of the truck, and there's, like, a, a in ghost black and mom. white, a ghostly, like, black and white, like, young woman, like, fi- pretty 50s housewife, smiling and waving at them. And then it just cuts back to them uh, talk, uh, sharing this I, gross, disgusting family moment. I at this point like the it was so tonally off this movie that when she said you know what's weird is I lost my virginity in this uh truck and Tim goes you know what else is weird I lost my virginity in this truck I was not 100% certain that they weren't going to look at each other and start making out and then have sex in the truck there there that's the energy that that scene had y- you know- and then it didn't do that and it didn't end it went to a weirder place and showed us ghost mom i I mean look i would rather see ghost mom than than incest like i guess that's my that's my bold (laughs) yes my my bold statement that i'll take i find ghost mom less offensive um although (laughs) not not uh, probably one of the weirdest and grossest scenes in the movie though but i think that i i i think we should yeah touch on that though just speak i guess speaking of incest uh the fact that that Sigourney Weaver and Tim Allen, like the chemistry between their characters 
it feels similar to actually in Dune, the the relationship between uh, <laughs> the uh, you know Jessica and Paul. Like it just the the chemistry between the two actors felt just a little bit too intimate, just slightly, <laughs> slightly too like husband and wife. Not enough. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Uh, yeah, no, I agree. No, there, there's there. Well, a million other references are coming to mind. They, they which is so bizarre because I feel like there's a Oh, I want to be careful with how I say this, which I don't know why. Wow, yeah, why at this point? There, There's a certain desexualization that I feel like happens with Tim Allen's romantic interests in his movies. Mm. Like, and even the TV show. Like, I feel like I have seen even something of Tim Allen and Patricia Richardson talking about home improvement behind the scenes, and he says, oh, it's kind of like kissing my mom. Mm. And... It was weird. So it, it's kind of mind-boggling to go that he starred in Galaxy Quest with Sigourney Weaver where the whole point was that she was over-sexualized and then puts her into this matronly role and then suddenly there's a chemistry that he doesn't have with the actual romantic interest of the film. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really astute. I feel like, again, men would rather, I think, uh, direct and star in a semi-autobiographical film than go to therapy. That's really the... <laughs> it's really the takeaway. Yes. So, okay, so we, we come to find out. I think I should just get, get it out of the way now. They, okay. um, that... He is working, you know, his cute parole officer, who he has an immediate connection with, has set him up to work at this pirate-themed restaurant. While working there, unexpectedly, he he sees his supposedly dead ex-girlfriend come through the drive-thru. He goes to see her. Yeah, it turns out Sigourney Weaver lied to him. She had been, like, his, his like, Christy, his ex, played by uh, Julie Bowen, had wanted to break well, they, up with they him. They starred together also uh, in Joe Somebody. Yes, yes. Uh... She'd wanted to break up with him uh, when he went to jail, but uh, Sigourney Weaver uh, just and, and Sigourney Weaver thinks that that's completely inexcusable that someone would want to move on with their life when the person they were involved with has broken the law by his own choice. Anyway, Sigourney Weaver but bootlegging to, DVDs though. To, okay, I mean true. That's not. It's not even like he was involved. With, either way, she wanted to break up with him. Sigourney Weaver thought this was unacceptable, so she quote. I, I didn't let her break up with you. She just instead started writing, like, like j- <sighs> Sigourney Weaver started writing love letters to Tim Allen in prison uh, to pretend As... to be his his girlfriend Christy, who has now left right, him. Right, and yeah. So she, and then when she didn't have time to write the letters anymore, she told Tim that that Christy died. So I. I it, it's a lot. I, I don't mean to leave you floating out there in the wind. I, I just, I don't know what to say about th- it. Th- it is a, I, I was speechless in the moment. I'm speechless now. I, I am, because at this point in the movie, we learn this about half an hour in or so. I'm expecting like, okay, this is a movie about a guy trying not to get sucked back into the DVD pirating game. And then all of a sudden it's like, wait, what <laughs> right. the fuck? Wait, his sister was like gaslighting him for three years into thinking a person was dead and he had no proof that his ex was dead. He didn't get the, he didn't have access to the internet in the library at the prison to like look up and he didn't see a like a a newspaper article he didn't go to a funeral nothing like so you just the it's this movie pulls the rug out from under you because you think that okay suddenly it's like clearly this is some kind of like 
screwball pantomime and also i suddenly there's so much other personal shit to unpack i don't know how we're gonna have time for the dvds <laughs> and we don't we no, don't have we time don't. for the yeah, dvds because dvds that's sacrifice. not what this movie is about <laughs> no it's not it's not so yeah this movie is a romantic comedy about tim allen and gene triplehorn playing his parole officer and she's not ready to open up to love and she just needs a man to show her that hey it's okay to open up again. Hey, she needs, Landon, Jean Tripled Horn needs two men to show her she needs to open up again. One of those men is her precocious, like, 10-year-old boy who oh, who God. who loves Tim Allen so much. He just, he just loves old Tommy Zelda, who is, you know, whose first interaction with him is to elbow him off of a skateboard so he falls onto the ground. <laughs> and I, that's what, that's what gets... Oh my god, the 10-year-old is like trying to orchestrate these romantic gatherings between Tim and Gene Triplehorn throughout is, this film. Yes, who is his parole officer? Let's not forget. Let's not forget that. Uh but he was endeared to him because he elbowed him off his skateboard. None of this makes sense. He, he well no, I mean it does it does make sense if you look at it through a lens of okay, again, this is this is Tim Allen, the storyteller, and he is creating a situation where an older man bonds with a young boy through um, ritualized threats of violence or minor acts of violence to show and signify that these acts are in fact acts of love and that this is how men communicate with men. I mean, Uh, again, I mean, you know, uh, men would rather write and direct their own movie than, or well, not write, but direct their (laughs) own movie and heavily modify the script than go to therapy. Um, Oh man. So, Um, but I just, this boy, Ethan, the, the son of his parole officer, just in every scene that he, every scene that the parole officer is in, usually Ethan worms his way into just so he can stand there and stare lovingly at uh, Tommy Zelda. And, uh, (laughs) it's, it's very uncomfortable. Not like the kid is creepy, uncomfortable, but uncomfortable that like, it's just like being bludgeoned into you. Like this kid loves this guy. And how could yeah. anyone not? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Love at first sight. I, <laughs> I, I don't even I, I don't even know where to start with that. It, it's like. All right. Go with me here for a second. You say this every episode and I always <laughs> I do. know. I know. It's because I don't trust my own brain to articulate things well. It's like your uncle who is losing his faculties. Mm-hmm. has watched a movie on a Friday night, and you're meeting with him on Sunday afternoon for a family dinner. Yeah. And he tells you, I saw the greatest movie the other night, and they don't make movies like this anymore. And he recounts to you the movie that he saw, but obviously is not a good storyteller. and So he just botches everything while he's telling it to you. And if you were to take notes from him telling you the movie he watched and you put that into a script and gave it back to your uncle to direct. That's kind of what's going on here. It's like the, the emotional beats and the character beats and the character development are bullet points from tropes of nineties movies that don't make a lick of sense within the context of the movie we are actually watching, but it harkens back to a time that's familiar enough that I will admit at this point, and I am ashamed of this, there was a moment when this movie was so dumb 
and so slip off my brain e that there was probably a 15 minute stretch where I didn't take notes, I didn't do anything. I was literally just staring at the screen and it was going by me and I wasn't aware that I was watching a movie. I wasn't aware that I was watching Tim Allen. Things were just happening and I was there. So so and, you, you were able to look at the screen, huh? Cuz by the end I wasn't looking at the, I couldn't look bring myself to look at the screen. I was looking at my keyboard. You were looking at your keyboard. I, so what I'm saying is like I, I think that for the average Tim Allen fan, and I don't want to disparage anyone who, you know, you like what you like and that's whatever, but they're they're the people who aren't analyzing this too deeply, the people who who, you know, aren't breaking this down and and talking about the script beats and and the performances are just like, oh yeah, I've seen I've seen a ten ten year old boy get his parent his his mother and a, a guy together before. I've seen that. What's what's so weird about this? Well, you'd think that maybe you can go along with the rest of it and not be bothered by the story beats, but then. Even even a person who is not committed to hating every movie they watch like us is going to watch this <laughs> and is still going to be put off by a ceramic poodle shifting its eyes around out of the blue. Or they're going to be put off by like black and white ghost mom, I don't, black and white sexually active ghost mom in the car. I think, I think those are like, have you ever been in a comedy club where yes. like there are certain comedians that may or may not direct and star in and shadow write their own movies who have who have constructed a rhythm to their performance that even if someone wasn't paying attention like they're on their phone they can feel when a uh laugh beat comes up and they'll just you know be twiddling on instagram and then that moment comes up and they'll just look up for a second and go ha, 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 and then go back to their phone yeah that's what the poodle looking is is like the people who are half paying attention like They'll notice that and they'll laugh because they're like, ah, something funny happened. Mm -hmm. I kind of saw it on the screen. I don't know. I don't know. I have more respect. I think I have more respect for the person half watching this movie than you do. I think the person half watching this movie <laughs> uh, is still going to find is going to find a like minute and a half long sex scene, which solely exists to this is uh, when, uh, when Tim Allen reunites with his ex-girlfriend, Christy, uh, just oh, to show oh, that God, they, that, that they do it eight or nine times. And uh, a lot of bobbleheads in the apartment are shaking around. I think even a person who is half watching the movie is going to look up, oh, catch what's going on, look back at their phone, look up again, and then realize after like 30 seconds of like trying just to not really fully engage with the scene, realizing that it's still going on, be like, what the fuck is this? Like, I, I don't think, I don't think so. No, I don't think there's a lot. No, I have more faith in just the average. I don't want to say lay person because they are happier people than us who are like, you know, doing good things <laughs> well, with their lives true. and not listening. To this I will podcast. give them that, <laughs> but like I think that anyone can look at this movie and say this is objectively bad. I don't think it's just like us with our sticks up our butts about uh, about structure or character or anything I don't like know. that. Well, I think well, maybe it, in our our generation and younger that might be true, like, but I think for the boomers, like this is a funny movie. This is a cute inoffensive funny movie i look i would just say if that's true if this if this movie was so relevant to a gigantic swath of the american movie going public with disposable income how come it made eighty eight thousand dollars 
How come it got terrible reviews from the old people who write movie reviews? That's like what a six percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Like the this movie this movie failed because it's bad. This movie had a lot going for it with a good script, a movie featuring Tim Allen, Sigourney Weaver, Gene Triplehorn, J.K. Simmons, Julie Bowen, Kelsey Grammer, and Ray Liotta. Yeah. Would that would get buzz and that would open big and people would want to see it. Like if it was if there was if it was if there was something in it to like, like this movie has so much going for it simply in terms of casting from a marketing standpoint. Okay. Like if the movie, if the movie was appealing to, to anyone, it would have been successful. This movie didn't like, this isn't some hidden gem or something that got like, uh, you know, right. buried because of a feud at the studio. I, I, I will, I will, Back away from my point only because I I hate speculation and I realize I am speculating on on people so I I, the, I will I will cede that point the the, the, wanna, the free market that Tim Allen loves so much took a look at this movie and said no thank you <laughs> I want to I want to take a ninety degree turn here and talk about uh, Tim is working at a fast food restaurant that is pirate themed yes I have about two hours of notes just on this a if I walked into a fast food restaurant and was greeted by the staff in a pirate voice, I would turn around and walk right out. This is again such a '90s script thing. Yes. Like this is to this is totally the joke in the '90s. Was like the kind of you know o over the top premise of a fast food restaurant that is being performed by under enthused employees. I feel like that was all <laughs> over the place. B. Tim Allen, director, star creative force behind this film mm -hmm. chose to put himself in a pirate costume through the whole film. I, honestly, like he, he is wearing this outfit 90% of this film. Honestly, mad, mad respect, mad respect. And he's got this big, like fake earring in and he's wearing a little pirate hat and, and being sad, like not liking it and being mopey and glum in it. But OK, that's funny. The thing is, though, he puts himself in a, a like a seaman's uniform. And I'm certain that was meant to be a joke and just is not funny. But he is wearing kind of a form fitting red striped uh, red on white stripe T-shirt or, or, or seaman's shirt. Yes. And. The the joke though would be funnier if he was in like a full blown captain's uniform. the The costume is not funny enough to justify the the dourness in which he's wearing it. Yeah, like it it, it it's he tries to split the difference between I gotta wear a costume, but I'm also the lead in this and want to look sexy because I have to have sex eight times in a row uh, with Julie Bowen in a little bit here. I, yeah, it's yeah. You're trying to split the difference, but you can't be funny looking and also making people go, "Ooh, damn, he's he's really he's looking good. He must be working out since Home Improvement." It, <laughs> right. yeah, it's it, I guess it's not fully committing to the bit. Um, can I can I toss something out there about this fast food restaurant? Is it that they deliver? Is it well? It is weird that the <laughs> that the very heavily pirate themed restaurant delivers it and it, it, <laughs> 10 years before uber eats the pandemic all of that like that the, yeah this place was delivering you because you really think that the benefit of the pirate restaurant is being in the middle of that vibe you know and experiencing it it's like you don't get like rainforest you, you know cafe the to go are, are, are doing a surcharge just for their theme 
Yeah, exactly. So you'd better hope that the, the guy who delivers it in full costume, as Tim Allen is, does a full sea shanty for you in your apartment while you eat things like your uh, like your scurvy shakes or whatever. There, there's a lot of there, there's a lot scurvy of scurvy shakes was the dance craze that took the '60s by storm. <laughs> yeah, kid, you know it was after that orange embargo. Uh, it was really really <laughs> difficult, so they tried to tried to take a sad song and make it better with a cool dance. Um, so. Uh, yeah, so, but the thing that I notice, there are a lot of scenes of him there on different days, you know, there in the dining, or there in the kitchen with his two idiot co-workers, and something I noticed is that the, the counter behind oh the co-workers... God, we haven't even talked about Mick and Edgar yet. Mick and Edgar is two idiot co-workers who are also ex-cons. The counter behind them is, um, every day in this very busy fast food restaurant, there is always, like, the same, uh, container of, like, of red onions and the same like container of bell peppers and tomatoes, it, three of them out sitting in the same places on the otherwise pretty much spotless counter. Yeah, every, yeah, every yeah. day, and it and even though these scenes are taking place, you know, days weeks apart, and it's I just you know directing, you know, dang old directing, <laughs> directing. man, you know, directing and 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 writing, uh, because okay, Edgar and and is it Mick or Nick? Uh, Nick, I believe. Oh, Rick! It's Rick. Sorry. Oh, well, I was um, wrong. They're they're playing the like kind of bum- well. One is t- definitely bumbling. They, uh, they have different degrees of bumble. Yeah. Uh, there's there's like the bumbler, and then there's the instigator. And I feel like Edgar, who's played by John Grise of uh, Napoleon Dynamite fame, mm. is he's the bumbler. He has lines like this when, spoiler alert, Edgar and Rick. Uh, they they join Tim in his uh, painting business yes. when he gets an opportunity to paint for a judge. Let's earmark that and talk about that in a second. Yes. But uh, when they're in the house uh, painting, one of the ju- – uh, I can't remember if it was the, the judge or his wife uh, sneaks up on, on him at one point, and Edgar says, Holy yeah. fuck, I'm sorry about the language, ma'am, but you scared the shit right out of my ass. <sighs> this is the – this is the same guy who also, when he first gets to the house, says to the judge, "This is a uh, this is a beautiful house. If I have to take a crap, I'm taking it home with me." It's the the movie, as you said earlier, it it, it feels like a collection of kind of blended up tropes, but there it's yeah. also been like cut uh, with a whole lot of blended up shitty one liners that are just out of you know that somebody wrote down in a book like you know that they thought of one day in the shower or something like just all right what other stuff have i got here just like old cast off stand-up routine bits <laughs> well i want to i wrote a note here and i want to maybe bring this up here uh we don't have to spend too much time on it but what do you think the chances are that this was actually a sitcom premise that tim said no i've always wanted to direct i'm going to turn this into a movie i I don't know. I mean, maybe the sitcom, maybe there's a sitcom premise about a guy out of prison, like a, a guy out of prison trying to start a painting company and Tim Allen couldn't get that off the ground as a show. So he instead got involved with the movie, like he bought the script or optioned the script <laughs> about the there. about the DVD pirating and just like bashed them together. <laughs> I don't think I, I really I don't think, though, that it's, it's, it's like taking, I don't know, taking a, a, one of Frank Darabont's uh, uh, Stephen King dramas and like shoehorning hackers in there. With a little bit of heat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, Tim, Tim Allen's just like, I, I have 
one of those old uh, SP VHSs where I recorded Heat. <laughs> I recorded Goodfellas, and I recorded, uh, I don't know, Fried Green Tomatoes. <laughs> yeah, man. This is this is basically how they invented Reese's. I mean, it's it's the it's the same thing. Two two great two great genres together at last. Um, yeah, no, I, I, th- I think that this was always a movie and meant to be a movie. Like, I, I think that, okay. I don't know, this has the, this has the feel of a movie all over it, but I think that a lot of what Tim added to it was kind of some sitcom-y premises of like, yeah. I'm just trying, like, hey, instead of it being a crime drama about a guy trying to, I'm turning into Frazier's dad, about a guy trying to, uh, not get mixed up in, in video pirating again, what if we make it a movie about a guy, the guy out of prison trying to start a painting business and falling in love with his parole officer, uh, that'll be more budget-friendly, and it, uh, and it lets me send a message about, like, hard work and small businesses. Speaking of Frazier's dad, I think it's time we bring in the Graham. Man, I he I I could use I could use a gram of something after having to watch Kelsey Grammer in, <laughs> I think he, in the few. I think he did a gram of something before agreeing to be in this. Oh, I think I think Again, he blackmail. I think I think he he did this uh, in order to pay for a gram of something, like one way or another. Um, <laughs> cheap shots at Kelsey Grammer, maybe so, but he's rich, so um, yeah. Kelsey Grammer is in this. He doesn't need to be in this. Uh, Christy. Tim's ex-wife after her ex-girlfriend, uh, he follows her home from the restaurant uh, and, and like back to her beautiful beachside apartment in Venice. The second that they see each other, even though she knows that he wasn't dead, I don't know, basically he starts talking to her. She immediately jumps him and they have sex and sex and sex and sex. Right after that, it turns out, oh, she's actually uh, she's actually like basically engaged to Kelsey Grammer, who plays a big screen TV salesman. In 2010, and, uh, do you know what brand of TVs he sells? Uh, he sells Binford TVs. <laughs> I mean, look, a season one or two of Gruntwork Truman would probably have a field day with the crossover potential between Frasier and the Home Improvement universes. I'm that this this is this is crazy on the outside, Truman, who's feeling crazy on the inside right now. So we're just gonna blow past that. <laughs> okay. Sounds but, good. Uh, but anyway, so she she's basically engaged to Kelsey Grammer, who is. Like a big screen TV salesman, though a big screen TV yeah. salesman who advertises on TV in 2010, when everyone was just going to a salesman to get their big screen. It, it's such a 90s thing. And this, okay, maybe is the moment I need to reveal the personal tragedy that happened uh, from this film. Oh shit! Yeah, okay. I and maybe some you know <laughs> one hour into this episode, you'll understand why I'm going so hard on this. My TV, my pride and joy, my love and life, the the device I've used to travel the world, to go in different time periods. It's my passport. It's my access to love, fear, uh, passion. He, well, well, okay, you're you're putting you're putting a lot of the you're putting a lot of the big ones on here. Fear, love, passion. It transports me anywhere I want to go. It's been with me through hard times and good. My TV is, like, I have to admit, the most important relationship I have in my life. Oh, Landon. I, I'm saying that because I think that's sweet, by the way. I I feel similar to my about my laptops. And honestly, the 32-inch TV in my, in my, in my office. <laughs> it's not the most important relationship I, in listen, my life, but I'm I, fond of it. I've had it for 10 I, years. I'm... I, I'm just calling it like I see it. I, re- I recognize my own faults, and yes, I should go to therapy to maybe, you know, make a better com- human connection with somebody. 
point is, the truth is, TV means everything to me. And the last thing that it saw, <laughs> it, it, it died oh, after work yesterday was the only, like, my first night off in a while. And all I wanted to do was, like, I want to just, like, watch some Joseph von Sternberg, Marlena Dietrich movies. I, I want... So who, who who can't relate? I want to put some better art into my life after having watched Crazy on the Outside the night before, and I go to turn my TV on, and it doesn't. And I try for three hours to get my television to turn on to find out that it is dead. It won't turn on. I can't troubleshoot it. I need a new TV. And the last thing that this this entity that is a point of joy in my life, the last thing it saw was crazy on the outside. I am never going to forget that. It is the biggest slap in the face I could think of sending off. Did you see um, Matterhorn? I, I did. I did not see Matterhorn. No, or, or Mindhorn. Is it Mindhorn? There was. It was a Netflix uh, TV series, uh, uh, TV movie oh, with wait. one of the guys from um, is, uh, is Steve, uh, the is, Mighty Boosh. Steve Coogan is in that, right? He's in it very briefly. Yeah, yeah I yeah. saw some of that. Yeah. So there's a moment later in that film where a character is dying, and he's kind of a weird character, and he's dying in the arms of the main character. And uh, the main character is not thought too highly of him, but in his final moments, he's like cradling him, and then he like passes out to like, you know, his final breath. And after he's passed, the main character says something like, he, he kind of like speaks the truth finally, like saying, "Oh, uh, your 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 death was worthless. <laughs> None of this life means anything." And the guy like wakes back up for a half a second before like dying, and like the last thing he hears. Is that his his death is meaningless? <laughs> that is what it feels like for my television. That the le- we have been through so many amazing movies and TV series together, and the last thing it sees on its <laughs> on its eyes is fucking crazy on the outside, and I am so mad about it. it. It's like it's like if you had one day left on Earth and you spend it like sitting in traffic. And, and then like yes. and then going to like three different CVSs trying to get a prescription and then yes and then on the way back you have to like take a shit at a McDonald's like and that's your last uh, my, day on earth. I constantly think whenever I fly I'm thinking my god if I die while flying I am going to be so mad because it is the most anxiety riddening just bane of my existence I, I hate flying so much I don't I'm not afraid of it, but I hate it. I, I think that I think that death is a, a pretty anxiety-inducing experience in general. Like, no, you could be on a beach, but if you start dying when you're on the beach, maybe because it's making you old, you're gonna have anxiety. <laughs> no, either way, well, like you'll get there. Yes, but my thought is, if I die while flying, I'm gonna be pissed. Like, I I realize if you're you're gonna die anywhere, obviously that's gonna suck. But like. You know, I would rather die doing something I like, like watching a movie in a movie theater than sitting after four hours. Like if I died as a plane was coming down uh, from a five hour flight and like I died in the landing process, that would be the worst way for me to die Mm. (laughs) because it would just be, you know, an entire day leading up 
to the worst moment of my life and then I die. If, if that if the if that's the worst way you can think of to die, you <laughs> clearly are not paying much attention to all those Jalo movies that you keep uh, watching so much that that you that your TV would your TV was trying to tell you there are worse ways to die than flying. And did you listen? That was it was giving you wisdom. <laughs> I just I'm I just. Oh, so what basically you're saying this is your Joker origin story. You are you are walking yes. out of your condo wearing a wearing a purple suit with uh, Rock and Roll Part 2 playing. You were dancing on a staircase <laughs> on your way to buy a new TV. <laughs> this movie cost me I'm not even going to say how much the new TV cost me, but like I I'm putting everything at the feet of this movie as I said. My TV going out is this movie's fault. You know, is it this movie's fault or is it the fault of the uh interdimensional demon Timalon? Because I I I think like he's got you. You know, he he's got you in his clutches. I think we have to go into the Tim side down and uh, find a way to stop him before he makes you be in a movie. <laughs> Is it is it Freddy Krueger rules? Like, do we just say I'm not scared of you anymore, and then we never talk of him again? Because I am way into that idea. I I don't think it's that simple. I think I think it's oh, like sorry, I I think I think it involves getting him into therapy, honestly. So we've got to get okay. We got you know we've got to getting getting a boomer into therapy. What could be easier? Yeah, I, we just have to get uh, I don't know. We got to get Doctor Phil in there or something. I agree, he's not going to be a good therapist, but it's it's close, and it's the one who Tim Allen will probably listen to. Um. So, okay, so crazy on the outside, won't you? A movie, some would say. Uh, so he... Uh, no, I won't, and I do not call it that. So so Kelsey Grammer plays uh, Freddy, who... Yeah, no, Frank, the guy who... Yeah, not Freddy, but that's a different reference we were making. Kelsey Grammer plays Frank, the uh, big screen TV salesman. Uh, he and Julie Bowen are about to get married. Julie Bowen is in love with Kelsey Grammer, but she also tells Tim Allen that she's in love with him. She loves both of them. She kind of just has to get married to Kelsey Grammer, though, because he's rich and he's got uh, prospects in life. Never mind the fact that she apparently owns a massive sunlit apartment right on Venice Beach, like right on Venice <laughs> Beach. This woman is like, I need a man yeah. to provide for me. Uh, so, yeah, so she's kind of, she's... There, so there's all these circumstances. I mean, that's the character, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. And and Tim keeps, you know, Tim will keep calling her up and saying, "I'm not going to let you go. I'm not going to. I'm not giving up on you. I'm keeping after it." Which is psychopath behavior. A man who just got out of jail and routinely has violent fantasies and is now telling you, "I'm obsessed with you. I'm not going to leave you alone, even though you want me to leave you alone so you can get married." To the to the point that he shows up at her wedding shower, where. Um, it's all ladies, and they're opening up. Oh my god, uh, <laughs> penis shaped things, penis popsicles. They're they're opening up dildos, and there's a line here that I mean I have no problem saying dildos or vibrators, whatever. But there's a line here that is just like I I can't even fathom what the writers or the ADR people were thinking. The line is. It, it, it's it happens from somebody off screen when uh when Julie Bowen she's she's got the dildo in her hand and she's like look at this ha 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 and then she sees Tim Allen and she hands the dildo to her friend to go speak to Tim Allen separately her friend off screen in the background says who knew they came in fuchsia <sighs> literally every person on the face of the planet knows they come in fuchsia <laughs> that is the default color of a dildo 
maybe I know maybe not everyone has a TV with the same like color settings that yours had to be able to really discern them and everything. I I don't know. I'm I'm sorry. I was a, not to speak of the dead. <laughs> I I like I agree with you, but I think that in the 90s when this script was written, it was not common knowledge about dildo colors. So that was a very yeah, that was a very topical. I think from the advent of the dildo it was fuchsia. It, in, like that, it came out of the mold. Fuchsia. Extra, extra. Read all about it. New female pleasure tool comes in fuchsia and only fuchsia. <laughs> uh, so so I, I don't know. Uh, that that scene, though, to to give a shout out to the uh, Academy Award winning editor of this movie, while he and and Christy are sitting outside the house talking, we keep getting cuts back to the background actors inside the house doing like sexy crotch thrusting suggestive <laughs> dance moves towards Tim and uh and Christy because they think that which, Tim is a pirate themed stripper which okay you know not an unfunny premise but it is this is a good example of this movie taking the steam out of everything when you realize that Tim Allen is directing a shadow script that he wrote and starring in it so he is the orchestrator of the people thinking he's sexy yes it makes me sick yes uh okay so we i I think i think we can't get too lost though in in overlooking another big plot point which is just generally the uh the uh gene triple horn of it all angela yes i wanted to get back to that because the single mom parole officer and how he courts her love Jean Triplehorn. Uh, I think Hollywood did her dirty. I don't know the story behind her, but like she disappeared. And uh, I'm actually, I can't even think of what I'd seen her in. Maybe after uh, Mickey Blue Eyes, maybe might've been the last thing I remember her in. <sighs> what a way to this. go out. And though. even, and even that I'm like, feels like a, uh, a punishment project, even though I love it. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I don't know. I just, I, I feel, I don't want to say I feel bad for her career. Maybe she's very happy with it. You know, I, as someone who loves Jean Triplehorn, I would love to see her do uh, as much as she would want to do. I selfishly want to see her do more and bigger things. I'm sad that this is where she's ended up. Yeah. <laughs> Watching her here, I'm just like, oh, you seem very exacerbated being in this role and uh i don't think it's 100 percent acting it's it's echoes of it's i think echoes of what makes some of the jill stuff on home improvement so hard for us because when she is mm. outraged at the completely ridiculous things that tim allen has done ridiculous and inappropriate things he's done to try and win her affections you believe it and she's clearly tapping into this as someone who's read the script and thought this is insanity why would anyone like this and then in the next scene when she's being all smiley and doe-eyed and inviting him to her kids little league game because you really are a good guy i can tell you're such a good guy then that feels gross because you can see her like i I don't know you can you can it's you think that something horrible has happened to the character you agreed with in the scene before that she's been possessed by yeah. something by Timalon, I, I suppose uh, to, <laughs> uh, to, to do these things. So look, let's, so when, you know, he meets her, her kid is hanging around the parole office. She sets him up with the job at the pirate place and insists that he has to keep doing the job or else he'll go to prison. But at some point he winds up going to her apartment, I think to order, uh, no, her, her son, who is obs- her son has ordered uh uh this is one of the the Machiavellian plots of this 10-year-old boy yes. who orders the prince. uh <laughs> the prince yeah he's a little prince the prince by Machiavelli oh, okay. I'm, I'm referencing you know. 
<laughs> he he has ordered takeout, and you know this is why the fast food place delivers because yes. they need this plot point. Yes, uh, he hires take uh, take uh, delivery from this uh, fast food joint so that Tim Allen will drop it off to their place, and uh, hopefully they will fall in love. Yes, but in doing so, Tim Allen is able to see that this apartment that she lives in with her son. Uh, it just has water stains all over the place, despite there being, you know, very nice furniture inside of it. And it being in, like, a luxury building, it has terrible, terrible paint. Yeah, there is, <laughs> you know, that's what you pay rent for. Uh, well, I mean, that, that, but my, as someone who lives in an apartment that has an absolutely terrible paint job, though, I mean, it's like, uh, I, I can't point too many <laughs> fingers. Um, so... Yeah, but so he sees this, he offers to, or he says, oh, you guys need a new coat of paint, and she... And they, Which, just, cool, thanks for pointing out the, the like, biggest insecurities of yeah. of uh, my apartment without at being asked. Thank you for walking into my house and criticizing my, my dwelling and my home. Yeah, um, right. But so then he, you know, but he overhears that they're going to the desert for the weekend to stay with Grandma, who the kid does not like, and then he recruits the two idiots from work to come back with him pick the lock on her place, break into her apartment while they're gone, paint the entire apartment, and then leave. Yes. As as a That's bit true. to, like, show her... He wants to show her that he's a good guy, that he's not like all the other guys who she deals with uh, at, as a parole officer. <laughs> they, I'm not like other guys. Yep. I'm one of the good ones, you know? Like, I'm a little rough around and the edges, but I'm actually a really good guy. Her reaction is to drive to his sister's house in the middle of the night, where, uh, or maybe not the middle of the night, but the night, and uh, uh, he sees, this is right after Ghost Mom moment. Yes. Uh, she pulls up and gets out of the car, runs up to him, and just goes, are you out of your mind? It's so good. And I'm like, oh my God, a moment of reality broke through in this movie. <laughs> you, you, you finally spotted a friendly face in a crowd of mean strangers. <laughs> you want to hold on to her as tightly as you can. Take me with you back in your car. Uh, but of course, the 10-year-old is with her and uh, completely undermines her the entire way, saying, I thought it looked good. Oh, it's really nice. Hi. Hi, Tom. Um, I mean, and then she, and then like the following day or something, I, I, she tells him like she comes back and apologizes or she, so much of this movie is this parole officer who presumably is supervising lots of other ex-cons taking yes. lots of time out of her day to like drive across LA to Encino where T Tim's sister lives to like say one thing to him that could be said over the phone uh, and always yeah. bringing her child with him even though uh, with her even <laughs> though early on she's like please please don't encourage my son to like you because I don't want him to like you because you're a bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> right. And have you ever driven from Encino to Santa Monica? You're not getting there <laughs> to make one one comment. I, I have I have a lot of questions about how quickly people are able to navigate uh, L.A. traffic in this film. Um, Very true. <laughs> she so it's but then just gradually over time as Tim like, you know, she she comes back to him and says, oh, actually, you know, I'm sorry that I was like. I'm sorry I was kind of rude about the paint job. Oh, it's, it's actually disgusting. It's actually really nice, and I appreciate it. Thank you so much. By the way, uh, you know... The, 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 the whole trajectory of her character is, is like, so utterly disgusting. Mm -hmm. uh, because none of it hinges on Tim at all. Like, Tim breaks into her house and disrespects her wishes, yes. which is to communicate with her son and, you know, break the law by breaking in. Well, also... And, uh, <laughs> And the entire 
thing with her character is just it, it she fluctuates from one moment to the next going fuck you what the fuck are you doing this is so out of line to i'm sorry i was uh, uh so hard on you i'm just having a hard time since uh my husband died or left or doesn't matter uh to i can't get involved with you she looks insane mm-hmm in this movie. Well, and you know, but of course, so, so does Christy who is kind of like for most of the movie is saying like, I'm about to get married to this guy, but I love both of you. I'll just secretly have sex with you on the side. Let's just do that. Like every, like women are not, women are kind of depicted as either duplicitous or completely like uh, astray and unable to make up their minds in this movie directed by Tim Allen. Interesting. Or 100% maternally chaste. Yes. Maternally chased, but lying all the time, though. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah. So it, it is. The, the, here's the here's the first problem with breaking into a woman's apartment to paint her apartment. The the first one. What color do you, like? It's like it, the, these are the walls of your apartment. Like maybe she wanted to do an accent wall. Mm-hmm. Maybe she wanted a certain shade. Like there's a reason that people yeah. like spend a long time at, at home Depot or whatever. at Sherwin Williams looking at swatches <laughs> and you're just going to guess what she wants. That's the first yeah. thing. Uh, yeah, but he's a painter. He, this is a, a generational business. So, uh, he, he knows it's in his blood. Just trust him. And, and then he, so they paint his, they paint her place. And then the two dudes from work who I'm not going to remember their names, as they're leaving, they're telling him, like, oh, dude, thank you so much, man. I hope I can repay you one day. This is so great. Thanks for getting us in on this. And it's like, well, wait. God, yeah. But this is a pro bono job on your weekend when you already have, like, paying jobs. <laughs> like, she's not paying for this. Clearly, Tim isn't paying right. you. He doesn't have any fucking money. Why are you thanking him for, like, press-ganging you into, a, <laughs> to, uh, into an to... afternoon of work on your one day off? To the point that it becomes the biggest plot point for the last half of this movie, which is uh, Rick and Edgar, and Edgar in particular, uh, John Grice, is saying, thank you so much for this opportunity. I need to do something for you to um, uh, thank you, you know, to, to give it back to you. And once they get the opportunity to uh, paint the judge's house... Um, they're moving some furniture around and a diamond ring falls to the floor, which they, of course, I have questions about what they do with this ring because it looks like they take it. And I thought, oh, they pawned it for money, but they didn't. No. Yet they have money. I mean, they're like wearing bling and stuff after that. They maybe they so, maybe they pawned. Like, I wonder if they did. They, they made an NFT of the ring. They sold the <laughs> NFT and then. What they did is they <laughs> got it. They took the diamond ring and put it at Christie's house with Tim's business card, which so I guess they broke into her house, which she doesn't see until she and Kelsey Grammer are midway through lovemaking. But and she takes this to mean that Tim wants to marry her. Yes, it's it's like that that the logic of that plan, which, by the way, seems to work perfectly, like the insanity yep. crackhead logic of like, I will buy a ring and put it in a house with a business card. The woman will see it and immediately understand that the owner of the business card is asking her to marry him. Likewise, my friend who I'm doing this for wants to marry this woman. It's as dumb as breaking into someone's apartment and choosing what color they want it painted. Honestly, <laughs> it, true. Yes, uh, it, it's but I, I like in the, in the reality of that guy's mind, though, is like. Hmm. Okay. I want to ask this girl to marry me. I'm not going to do it in front of her. I'm going to leave a business card. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that seems like a Tim Allen The move. romantic, most romantic of gestures. I will look for Patrick Bateman, probably. He'd love to get proposed to that way, depending on the <laughs> depending on the finish. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the psychotic level that we're working at with the logic here. Um, so, and the other thing that upsets me about his relationship with this parole officer is that his whole thing, he has all these big sincere moments with her where he's like, I'm going to show you I'm not like other guys. I'm a good guy. I'm going to be able to go straight. You know, he's even, and he's telling the same thing to his sister the second he first gets home. I'm going to be able to go straight. Yeah. I, I'm committed to this. I'm going to do whatever it takes. But it's yeah. like, what it takes is working at the pirate-themed fast food restaurant. Okay. He repeatedly ditches, he ditches work the first time when he sees his, his ex-girlfriend and goes to fuck her a million times over the course of 24 hours. Yes. Parole officer gets him the and job back. To the back. point of... He goes back and and is constantly then, when he goes back to the place, when he's out on deliveries, he keeps like going and seeing Ray Liotta or he keeps yeah. knocking off work. He, he steals the delivery car multiple times. He keeps <laughs> committing crimes and showing he's not there's, a good guy. There's a line in here, again, 80 yard, that literally says, I can't work tonight. I have a date. Yep. <laughs> These younger generations just need to pull I, themselves up by their they, they got too many participation trophies, and as a result, you know, they just never work because they're too busy looking at their phones. Um, okay, here's the other thing, and I uh, take this really personally, and I, I don't want to get too... I want to keep my my personal and my my podcasting life a little bit. Well, well you did tell us about about your TV breaking because of this movie, so we're already we've got oh, our yeah, foot in the door to your yeah. Okay, that that's my my deep emotional life, uh, my professional life and my podcasting life. How about that? Yeah. Uh, so I'm not going to speak too much about my job, but a portion of it has to do with finding people work and jobs and getting them on a new track, a different track. Like this shit is important and it helps people's lives. Uh, people do want to commit to it. And some people have a hard time with it. The, the lack of the cavalier attitude he takes towards this is offensive to me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is like, again, the, this is a movie that could be, a comedy that is also about some very real shit. Like the prison system does not rehabilitate people. It does not prepare people for life on the outside. And it's a very, it's incredibly hard to come out of prison and try to get your life back together. There's like a movie that can be both heartfelt and thoughtful and funny about how you repair relationships with your family and work a shitty job and, you know, repay your debt to society. And this movie just, it takes a worthy concept and just wipes its butt with it. Just it it takes a crap and it doesn't take it home. Uh, I'm gonna start just pulling out some random stuff now. Yeah, yeah. We should we should eventually because we're now getting around to the runtime of the movie. We yeah. should start augering in for a landing here. Uh, one of the dates that they go on, him and Gene Triplehorn, is to watch uh her ten year old play baseball. Yep, baseball. Uh, third third baseman takes a line drive to the head. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's one of these weird bits. They're having this, like, heavy talk about, like, that she initially says, I, let's just talk about baseball, and then opens up to his question about what happened with your ex-husband. And as they're having this conversation, we cut away to, yeah, just a child getting knocked on the head with a baseball and collapsing and people running over. And it's just like, oh, we needed something to, not, like, No, no, not even. There's one man in this movie who runs over to him. 
<laughs> and it's no one Tim. else e- cares. <laughs> no one else even looks at the kid. I, I mean, well, I, Tim and Tim and his parole officer have like they're they're seeing it happen, but they're just so much more engrossed in the complexities of, of their own lives. The <laughs> uh, young ten uh, year old gets gets uh, taken out by. <laughs> A 100 mile line drive to the temple. You see it a thousand times. You know, kids kids these days, they don't have any work ethic. Back in my day, <laughs> I would get hit in the head with a line drive. No, Nobody came to help me. But, you know, kids now, they're on their phones. They're immediately expecting people to come help them. And that's why we shouldn't raise the minimum wage. There's there's a, a, a line somewhere in here. Um, oh, when he, it's another uh, Ethan, the 10 year old. When uh, they're first, him and Tim are starting to get to know each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tim has a line that defines Tim Allen for me in a way that I've never been able to pinpoint before. Yeah. Like, I think we've skirted around it in seven seasons of Home Improvement. This line defines Tim Allen's personality to me. He says, because uh, the kid says something mathematical or, or he's really, you know, kind of, I don't know, says something savanti. And Tim says, like, Rain Man. And the kid kind of gives him a quizzical look, like, what? He's like, Rain Man. It's a movie about a freak who remembers things. (sighs) (laughs) I can't even, like, unpack that. Yeah. (laughs) But everything that is packed into that says everything you need to know about Tim Allen. Just a little bit of, just, again, it's like his casual cruelty to this kid. He threatens to kill, he implies that he wants to kill the boy early on in, in knowing him. <laughs> and this and this kid yeah, you responds. Yeah, male initiation. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That this kid responds with only like, just kind of like, <laughs> you're funny. And like looking at, just like gazing at him like he's like he's Ralphie looking at the Red Rider BB gun in the window of the toy store. It's, it's really... It, it's like it's the same sicknes that you see slowly take over Jean Triplehorn where she starts off r- reacting to Tim appropriately but then gradually by the end of the movie has welcomed him fully <laughs> yes. into her life never mind the fact also professional consequences i'm a parole officer i fell in love with uh, one of my you know one of the people i'm supervising this is a gigantic conflict of interest that's going to yes. have a negative impact on my career with this uh, agency that i work at the, but the the point is you the same way that she you watch her slowly destroy her life to be with Tim it, it's like the kid gets infected immediately like his little immune system cannot yes. ward off uh Tim's charms such as they are yeah I don't know Rain Man a movie about a freak who remembers things I yeah yes <laughs> not a not a movie about autism I mean which is questionable in and of itself but uh nope autism freak remembers things uh, yeah and also just that hey kid you're 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 a freak for remembering things like i don't i don't know it's just like I pick, the picking thing. fights with children okay so uh again uh, uh, occasionally in this movie gray uh p- played by ray liotta will pick tim up in his nice car they'll go driving around lots of lots of yep. long shots of cars driving around in this movie tim allen driving around doing donuts on the roof of an apartment building or on the roof of a parking garage in in ray liotta's car which is actually i'm sure tim allen's car uh but uh you know what i would have sorry you you, for some reason you're talking about that just put a better movie in my head not not a better version of this movie but like i wish tim allen's directorial debut would have been like a comedy version of gone in 60 seconds Mm. oh you know what yeah he yeah that would be good i would have liked him in that they could have done the straight version of that too just like the remake with Nicolas cage they really should have put tim allen in that his career was in the right place at that point and i think he could have pulled it off well 
he wasn't given the opportunity unless we got crazy on the outside. Just you just think about Tim Allen listening to Lowrider and then just saying, Okay, let's ride. <laughs> Um, so yeah, Ray Liotta eventually comes to, so he, after, after the whole, um, uh, situation with the ring, like they've, the, the guys have stolen the ring from the judge's house. Uh, his parole officer, you know, has found out about this right before their first official date. She yells at him, oh, you're as bad as I thought you were. You'll go get it back. Yeah. You've I got you a couple hours before you're arrested. He goes... So he, he doesn't want to marry Julie Bowen anymore. Yeah. He's lost uh, Gene Chivalhorn. And he and so he goes to Christie's house to get the ring back from her. Oh, but Kelsey Grammer's there in his second scene in the movie. And they basically, <laughs> he, you know, there's a brief scuffle. He knees Kelsey Grammer in the balls. An interesting clash of the of the sitcom titans which uh, unfortunate how it turned out really uh and then but then he just kind of explains to them that uh no uh i'm you know you you guys are great together i've got a there's i've got this other woman i'm into it so he just and kelsey Grammer is chill with it and she and and uh, julie bowen puts some frozen peas on fraser's nuts and that's a that's a you know film wrap on kelsey <laughs> Grammer. that's a wrap on the gram yeah right um, okay and, and and Julie Bowen for that matter. Yes, good for her too. Uh, get out of there while you still can. But <laughs> yeah, so then he goes. He takes the ring back. He gets arrested because he has stolen the delivery car for the third time to do this. And then Ray Liotta yes. bails him out of jail and gives him a big Manila envelope full of cash and says, "Are you back in?" And he says, "I'm back in." There, there's and one so last he's... job in San Francisco. Some. 12 million dollar haul of You're movies not, not, not gonna believe this this last bootleg heist we're gonna we're gonna run <laughs> yeah and uh china uh, won't know what's coming its way <laughs> yeah well uh, let's see in 2010 what is coming china's way oz the great and powerful i guess sloppily <laughs> subtitled into God. into uh cantonese uh so God. they uh yeah so they go to the airport uh, to get on his Learjet, uh, Ray Liotta's... Do you, th- do you think they're actually putting together the, like, cultural distinction between Mandarin and Cantonese for the subtitles? Oh, yeah, yeah, no, I think that, I think that Ray Liotta, or, or one of the, <laughs> one of the kind of beautiful women in low-cut tops who are just sort of lounging around the, the DVD copying room, yeah, they, like, again, yeah. it's this, it's this facility Ray Liotta owns that is both a place where nerds are copying like mainstream like theater release movies onto DVDs, but also where like beautiful women are lounging and doing coke and popping champagne. Like it's both it's both a nightclub and a and a video copying uh, sweatshop, and it's also the the editing base for it's, the movie that you're watching. Listen, I, I saw it in Pusher. Yeah, <laughs> this is uh, yeah the next uh, the next iteration, the American iteration of that. Yes, gritty gritty underworld. Uh, it's, it, this is honestly, this is kind of, this film extrapolates on what it would be like if that Seinfeld episode where he gets mixed up in video pirating had kind of just expanded the world. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but anyway, so his sister overhears on the, like she calls him and overhears Gray on the phone and realizes what he's doing and where he's going. So she rushes inexplicably through traffic, intercepts them at Santa Monica airport right before they get on the plane to go do crimes She's all like Tim is all ready to get on the plane and go back to being a bad guy, but she then yells to him, "Oh, Ethan- why? Why?" At this moment, I'm like, none of the preceding movie 
it all leads me to believe you would make this choice. It, yeah. Well, and yeah, because like all this stuff about I want to start my dad's business again, whatever. Well, you seem to have been having luck with your dad's business and you got the ring back. So you're not going to go to jail also because Ray Liotta has bailed you out of jail and bribed the cops so that you never get like so there's no record of you stealing the car which is also like so you're already committing crimes also you're associating with a known felon this is a violation yeah. of your parole fortunately you're stopping your parole officer so she's not going to burn you for this <laughs> i it it is this movie would work better if it was a drama about him seducing his parole officer so he can get back into the dvd there you bootlegging go. business without any I suspicion like it. and it's about her breaking free from him Better movie, yeah. <laughs> much, much better movie. Um, All right, we don't need to slow jam the end here. The, the thing is, it culminates at the airport, and uh, Sigourney Weaver's there to try to assuage Tim away from the making the bad decision, and Ray Liotta throws her to the ground. I, that made me uncomfortable. I threw it on the ground. I was probably a stunt woman. I mean, Sigourney Weaver's well, not still, doing her own stunts uh, on this I mean, movie. I, obviously, but just the act of a... <laughs> Hardened criminal, uh, I'm using big air quotes there, throwing a woman to the ground in a broad comedy in a violent way was a little shocking. True, true. It's kind of it's it's kind of rough. But then but then, it, but then Tim in retaliation shoves him to the ground. It's just like shove for shove. It's not punching. It's just it's just a little bit of shoving. Just just total playground antics. And then Sigourney Weaver though tells him Ethan is missing, son of of Gene Triplehorn, and that is what motivates Tim to rush to Gene Tripletorn's aid. Um, I, you know what? <laughs> I wish that Tim's go-to move was just kicking people in the nuts. <laughs> like he needs, he needs Kelsey Kramer in the balls. <laughs> and like, if that's just, if he just did that throughout the film, that would be, that would be kind of funny. <laughs> I mean, I, <laughs> once is not that funny. Multiple times is kind of funny. Mm, yeah. 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 It's it, the, you know, back when they first invented kicking people in the groin back, back in the first season of, of America's funniest videos, we could get away with one, <laughs> but now audiences need you to dial it up a little bit. Cause we're used to that concept. Um, <laughs> He rushes to Gene Triplehorns to help her, but then, oh no, it turns out Ethan didn't run away, and then the movie helpfully gives us flashbacks to every other time his sister lied as though we hadn't already pieced this together, and then this somehow leads to a reconciliation between him and Gene oh, Triplehorn, God. and she goes to, goes, yeah, they go over for Who dinner cares? with, yeah, with, with Sigourney Weaver, and the last, the last moment in the movie is grandma finally realizing that uh, Tim Allen was in prison and Sigourney Weaver going like, oh, you were in prison and cut to the, right. cut to the credits. Bad movie. Uh, on, on that, Bad I want to, I want to start, I want to start ramping up toward a, a more positive ending. Here. Okay. Okay. Uh, grandma. We, we haven't talked about grandma at all. No, we have Helen not. Helen Slayton Hughes. Funniest part of this movie. Uh, she is a hilarious actress. Yes. Uh, she is probably best known at this point for her parts uh, part on uh, Parks and Recreation for Ethel Beavers. Oh, the, uh, <laughs> what floor was it? Oh, the fourth floor. The fourth floor. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she she is hilarious, and she has she was born in 1930. Jesus. Uh, she's been working since uh, the 1980s, um, both in TVs and movies, uh, but really started picking up around the 2000s uh, for some of her bit parts from like the Drew Carey show, the West wing. But I, it, it was really around parks and recreation that her like irreverent, not even irreverent. That's not the right word, but like this kind of offbeat humor, like 
she had a, a really memorable part on Brooklyn Nine Nine. She had a few episodes of Raising Hope. Uh, <laughs> she was on Parenthood for an episode. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I she just every time she pops up in something, I think she's super funny, and uh, I liked her commitment to the bit here. I mean, look, it, it is again the the her thinking that he was in France bit is 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 just generally funny and could be better executed, but she is doing a lot with it and playing the role very yes. well. And the fact that she is, you know, walking around speaking French all the time and is like, like at one point she is speaking French to him about the supposed death of his French fiance. And, uh, and, and he doesn't, and he doesn't understand. And she goes, did you really not pick up any French in three years? It's very, <laughs> it, like, that's, that's a moment that she sells. Yes. Yes. Um, Listen, I, is there anything else we want to talk about this? Because I want to, I wanted to bring up a few letterbox reviews. <laughs> I, I think, I think the only thing that I would say about this is that if the whole point of the movie is that your guy is trying to straighten out and go right, and and his and the whole thesis is this guy is a good guy and he's not going to become a criminal again, you shouldn't have him be one hundred percent ready to go be a criminal again the second he gets broken up with and has one setback, and you shouldn't have the only <laughs> thing that turns yes. him back. From returning to a life of crime, be getting lied to. Like you, he does. Yeah. Like basically, if his sister didn't mislead him, he would be off. You know, uh, uh, bootlegging, uh, bootlegging, whatever. <laughs> uh, let's see. I don't know what other movies came out in twenty ten. You you find, find Avatar. Yeah, Avatar. Yeah, bootlegging Avatar. Um, this movie sucks. I don't like it. I hate. I hate. Oh my god! It just breaks my heart that this is the last thing my TV saw. I'm never gonna forget that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sticks with you. I gave for Richard Rapport uh, one and a half stars on Letterbox. I gave this a half star. I would have given it no stars, but no stars doesn't affect its its rating, its overall rating. Mm. Like you have to rate it in order for it to register. So I gave it a half star <laughs> just so that it would go down. Okay, that's good. Um, that, that's true spite. I appreciate that. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, and I I just want to I pulled four reviews here. They're very very short uh, from other Letterbox users that I just want to call out because they are. Uh, so indicative of how I feel about this movie. Okay, what do we got? Um, Uncut Giraffe says, watch this movie if you hate yourself. Hmm, I do. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, Avaduke says, uh, loved when this movie finally ended. Yeah. Smiley face. I, I, <laughs> I mean, I was, I was relieved, but I, I wouldn't say that I loved that about the movie. I feel like the damage had been done by then. <laughs> uh, Someone just named Austin says, I will find you, Tim Allen, and you will know my wrath. Oh, wow. So maybe he killed that guy's TV, too. <laughs> maybe. Uh, and then probably the one that uh, I think is <laughs> the best. I think I sent you this one. Uh, Shay Savage says, bro, I'll bet Tim Allen has such a huge dick that definitely works super well. <laughs> well, yeah, clearly he does. There's that scene where he has sex with <laughs> oh, her. That's right. And then she says again, and then... Again, and then again, and they keep having, like, those bobbleheads wouldn't be moving that much unless Tim Allen's fully turgid member was, uh, you know, in full operation. Uh, Truman, I, I texted you this as well, because uh, I said that this is a lens that we had to watch the movie through, which is, can you imagine being in the editing bay of this movie with Tim Allen? <sighs> and having him, 
having him over your shoulder and and directing you on how to edit a joke. Yes. <laughs> how many how many arguments do you think the editor won just by silently putting his Oscar on the counter? I don't think the I don't think the editor won any argu- I don't think the editor had arguments. The editor was like, <laughs> "Okay, you're paying me? Sure, Mr. Allen, if that's what you want me to do." Like, I I don't I, I don't see the <laughs> Okay, that's a good Yeah, point. it's like the editor or the editor's assistant who was doing this and, you know, was just like, "Okay, Yep. Okay. Like the, his his boss probably told him like, "Hey, this is a favor for my buddy Tim. This movie's not editing will not save this movie. I've seen a rough cut. Just do whatever he tells you to do." The ed- the editor has seen a rough cut. I mean the the editor has seen the raw footage. Let's just say okay. That. All right. Okay. I've like I'm I'm sure the rough cut of the movie and the raw footage straight out of the camera that they shot make about an equal amount of sense. Like we could have watched just yes. like, you know, six hours of like different takes of, of J uh, JK Simmons going choo choo. Eddie needs, you know, coal in the, in the <laughs> boiler. And that would have made about as much sense and hung together about as well as this overall movie did. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, I just, I, I had nightmares about, uh, just like sitting with Tim Allen's hot breath over my shoulder, uh, as I try to edit this thing. Hey, hey, wait, wait, um, wait I, I got an idea. I got an idea. Okay. Okay. Sc- scroll back, okay, scroll back. Right. Okay. So when, when, okay. uh, when it says, uh, uh, you know, Tim Allen there in the first credit, we were seeing this guy who's not me. So here's what I'm thinking. What if we throw a subtitle in there that somehow indicates to people that, uh, that that this isn't Tim Allen, you know, that I'm not him. Well, Tim, I mean, you're a big movie star. People are going to know that's not you. Hey, well, I mean, but I don't know. I mean, I, I think but what if what if this is the first movie of mine that people have seen? Mm-hmm. Like, it's been a minute since Galaxy Quest. Like, what's what's are you saying that they're going to the joke is they think you're fat? Well, I mean, I don't know. Maybe they do. I mean, look, what's my... I mean, like, Toy Story is huge, but people don't see me. Like, they know that Buzz Lightyear right. is ripped and cut, but they, they don't. They might not think that about me. Okay, you, you lost me a little bit there. <laughs> I don't see what's funny about this. <laughs> Wait, you don't see what's funny about, about us trying to do an extended uh, uh, impression-based no, improv? I was still in character. Oh, you're still in character. Oh, okay, okay. I'll be over my shoulder in the editing room going, like, do you think we, should, okay, we went a little great. too long on the, on the editing bit? No, 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 it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Uh, um yeah when this was done uh before i knew my tv had seen its last days uh i i had to sit silently in a dark room for about 15 minutes before i could do anything again just to sit with the shame (laughs) that that not only have we been doing this podcast for five years and i've questioned our our choices but that it brought us to this moment I mean, as soon as I, as soon as the movie ended for me, I sat through the bloop that I knew would be there, and then I just immediately pushed myself away from my desk and got up and went and took a walk. Like I had to get away from my computer, <laughs> like it was on fire. You call that a blooper? I, I mean, anything, any scene that shows in a smaller frame at the side of the screen while credits scroll past it is a bloop. <laughs> I, it's, it just, it can't, I'm sorry, I don't make the rules. Sometimes the bloops are canon, but it still is a bloop. Okay, all right. Yeah, I mean, ugh. I mean, even that felt a little like taking from richer or poor. Like, it's, they aren't outtakes. It's just a continuing story of like, I didn't need this to continue any longer. Yeah, well, at least, at least for richer or poorer, it was like, hey, here's some fun moments we had on set. And since he stayed the whole time, here's a little, little, little bit more about of the for richer or poorer saga. Here's a little tease of what the sequel could be. This is just like, yeah. 
nope, you just need to know what happens to these two dudes who are in the same location we last saw them in. <laughs> yeah, Edgar and Rick and doing a extended improv that is not funny and that's not and we would know their discredit <laughs> yeah uh yes it's it's uh i would because i watch it and i did not laugh uh the the whichever one the one who's played by john grease uh has yeah. has alluded to being a dancer in the past and then in this last scene it's him out there dancing with a hip-hop crew for some reason while the other guy just like shouts encouragement like Erase. yeah get it commentates oh uh, yeah do the do the yeah, do that what, pelvic thrust. Yeah, yeah. It, but bring your knees in tight, and you know, drives you For insane. Like two minutes. Yeah, it's it one uncut take. It's just awful. I. It's oh, oh my god, Truman. This movie is taking everything out of yeah, it. Yeah, it's taken. It's it's. I. Yeah. It's taken the words right out of my mouth. Let's finish it, Landon, because we've been talking for longer than the movie runs now, and I was hoping that we were getting into the habit of not doing that. But some movies... Yeah, me too. Some, you know, but again, this is is what happens. We've been infected with Timalon's curse. Um, Do you have anything else about this film that you didn't talk about that you want to? Mm, Opening credits, bad. Other, but yeah, yeah, that's all. They're just like, they bleed over the screen in sort of a, you know, aesthetically unappealing way. Okay, we're done. That's all I've got. (laughs) uh yeah i i can apply that to every moment of this movie just everything bad period we're done it should have just been a two-second episode uh so let's end it by saying um you can support us over at patreon.com slash gruntworkpod if you want to help us create the show or help us pay for therapy uh (laughs) that would be awesome if that's if we're allowed to use the funds for that then cha-ching we're introducing a new tier (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, listen if we're talking about therapy i'm talking about a lot of tears yeah um beautiful beautiful the- <laughs> guys this is why you've got to join our patreon L- listen to the kinds of bits that we do after a couple hours of warm-up all right uh stop by to say hi to us on twitter or instagram at gruntwork pod or leave us a rating review over at apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts um uh or visit our website at www dot gruntworkpodcast.com can you tell i don't have this in front of me yeah. uh where you can listen to this episode again if you wanted to um or any of the other and ones any other episode we've ever done or will do in the future until next time when we bring you another bonus episode i have been landon solano i've been truman caps and uh remember Tim Alon. I, I just I don't I don't want to. But but no. Tim, but 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 I, Tim Alon will come for you if you don't remember Landon. If you don't. I don't remember. want to remember. I would rather die in the sweet release of Tim Alon than have to remember this movie. The sweet release of Tim Alon. That, that's what he does after the sixth time. <laughs> <laughs>